Everyone needs the Creator, whether they believe in God or not. But for Christians, it's much more than that. We need God in our lives to bring meaning, love, and forgiveness, and to help us prepare for eternal life in heaven. Saying that Jesus must be the center of our lives is easy. Figuring out how to actually do it is hard. But it must be done because it's how we'll be able to prepare ourselves to accept the forgiveness that Christ is waiting to offer. Welcome to the Real Word Podcast for the fifth Sunday in Lent, cycle C of the Roman Catholic Lectionary. I'm Brandon Jubar, and I'll be your guide as we walk through the readings for this week. It's an important process because we believe the scriptures are the inspired Word of God. But to really be nourished by the Word, we need to break it open and look a little deeper. We need to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Now, the messages I get from these scriptures might feel right to you, but you also might find that the Holy Spirit tells you something else, and that is absolutely all right. So if you're ready, let's dive in. As I said, tonight we'll be looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday in Lent, cycle C. Our first reading is from Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Our second reading is from the Philippians, St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. And our gospel reading is from John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Now, just a couple things to note. First, we have readings from both the Old and New Testaments. Isaiah is from the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scripture, while the letter to the Philippians is from the New Testament, or the Christian Scripture, as is our Gospel reading. If your church has catechumens and people elected for initiation or full full communion into into the church at the Easter Vigil, it's likely that you will use the readings from year A. So don't be surprised if the readings you hear at Mass this weekend are different than the ones I'm sharing tonight, which, as I said, are the readings for this cycle, year C. So tonight we'll see that Isaiah says, don't dwell on the past. Paul says, don't dwell on the past. And Jesus says, where'd everyone go? Okay, let's start by going through the readings, and then we can talk about the messages we find. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Our second reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, what is more, 
I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And our gospel reading is from John. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. All right, so let's take a first glance at these readings and ask ourselves, what does it mean? What messages and meanings can we find if we dig around just a little bit? Our first reading was from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And let's start by setting the stage a bit because the reading itself can be a bit deceiving for some folks. The, the first half is talking about the exodus out of Egypt when the Lord parted the Red Sea to let the Israelites pass and then let it crash down again on the Egyptian army. Isaiah wrote, they lay there never to rise again. Biblical scholars believe this part of Isaiah was written after the Babylonian exile. And the fact that it's a, a reading from Isaiah and not from Exodus should tip you off to the fact that it's taking place long after the Exodus out of Egypt. But we don't always pay attention to that. 
<clears throat> anyway, what Isaiah was doing was he was reminding the people about how powerful the Lord is by recalling the story of that exodus, of the exodus out of Egypt. But then he goes on to say, forget about all that, right? because I'm doing even better stuff now. Isaiah is sharing what the Lord has said. All right, The Lord is the one who said this, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. On the surface, it sounds a bit arrogant, I suppose, but it's not meant that way. I think the point Isaiah is trying to make is that the main thing we need to do in return for our lives and all God's blessings is to thank him and praise him. We need to truly appreciate what we've been given and, and not keep that appreciation to ourselves. One interesting thing to note is Isaiah's use of, of water and, and water-like imagery. He talks about the sea, and he talks about how something new springs up, and there are streams in the wasteland, and then water and streams are mentioned again and again. For a, a desert people, it's a powerful metaphor. Water gives life. We need water to survive. God gives life. We need God to survive. So the main message I got from our first reading is that we need God to survive. Can someone live without believing in God? Of course, people do it all the time. We don't think they can live without God, though, because God created them, whether they believe it or not. And, and we're all in the same boat. We, we need the creator to keep on creating. We, we need the gifts of creation in order to continue living in this world. And we definitely need God if we want to join him in eternal life. No matter how you look at it, we need God to survive. Our second reading was from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in it, Paul writes about the fact that he has figured out exactly what is most important, and that is making Christ the absolute center of his life. Now, for a guy writing from prison, St. Paul sure seems excited about the impact that Christ has had on his life. And one thing, one thing people don't realize is that Roman prisons weren't correctional facilities, or even penal institutions. They, they were holding pens. People didn't get put there as punishment, you know, serving prison sentences like we're familiar with today. No, they were being held there while waiting for the actual punishment, which was usually torture or death or torture ending in death. The, the point is, Paul knew he was unlikely to get out of prison you know, unless it was in the, whatever the first century equivalent of a body bag is. But he was still happy about being inspired by Christ. And he seemed to be looking forward to following in the footsteps of Christ. He even talked about wanting to participate in Christ's sufferings. <laughs> Unlike the 
televangelists of today, when Paul talks about potential suffering to come, he's dead serious. Bad pun intended. But Paul doesn't just talk about suffering as a path to getting closer to Christ. He also talks about something probably a bit more doable for the rest of us. Paul explains that to know Christ closely, we have to set aside all the clutter in our lives. We have to we have to Marie Kondo the heck out of our lives and and get rid of all the unimportant things. You know all the all the stuff that tends to get in the way. To Paul, all his former accomplishments were insignificant. All of his prior wealth he called <laughs> he called it garbage. His point seems to be that nothing else matters much once we find Jesus. Near the end of the reading, Paul describes it a little differently, as if he's he's running toward the finish line. You know, he's clear that, that he forgot about all of this other stuff because he's he's focused on the prize, focused on, on what's ahead, not on all the things from the past. Like, like someone running a marathon, Paul seems to be saying that concentration and determination can keep us on the path to eternal life in Jesus. So the main message I got from our second reading is that Jesus must be the center of our lives. Uh, That's a very churchy thing to say, but it's something we need to really think about. St. Paul was telling us to forget all the other garbage and focus on Christ. But it's tricky, isn't it? Because if, if we put Jesus at the center of our lives, then we must follow his commands. And many of those involve caring for one another, which means putting others, you know, the needs of others before our own needs without making them the center of our lives. It can be confusing. So we need to keep refocusing on the fact that Jesus must be the center of our lives. And finally, our gospel reading was from John. And this reading is one you're probably familiar with. Jesus says, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Then a little old lady shuffles to the front of the crowd and and pelts the woman with a good-sized rock. And Jesus looks at her and says, Really, Mother? Seriously, though, this this reading gives us several things to think about, at least— um, at least one thing I think people overthink, and it also provides some people with the means to persecute certain other people. So let's start at the beginning. Jesus is he's teaching in the temple courts, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are trying to come up with some way to accuse him. So this whole thing is a trap, and Jesus knows it. But unlike some other times, he doesn't jump right into a parable or immediately start asking them questions in return. Instead, he bends down and starts writing on the ground with his finger. At first, he won't even be bothered with it, and he just ignores them. Now, this is the point where a lot of people start conjecturing and coming up with all kinds of theories, some of which are based on scripture or Jewish practices. But the question they debate is, what was he writing? Was he just doodling or, or was he was writing the sins of all the people gathered there? Uh, Frankly, we don't know. And I don't think it changes the meaning of the story. 
They tried to trap Jesus, and his initial reaction was to ignore them. That right there speaks volumes, regardless of what he was writing in the sand. And when they they kept pushing him, they just wouldn't let it go. Then he stood up and spoke those famous words. Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, the law didn't say anything about needing to be without sin in order to stone someone who was caught committing adultery. And I'm sure Jesus knew that. But instead of debating the law on its merits, debating whether or not it's reasonable and just, he avoids that debate altogether and throws out this challenge. It's almost like, fine, whatever. Um, Whoever's sinless, come on up and get this party started. Obviously, they weren't expecting that. It's, It's likely that her accusers weren't teachers of the law or the Pharisees. So the people brought her there probably weren't, you know, that crowd who was trying to accuse him. It's likely that those folks were, uh, or that the folks that were uh, were trying to trap Jesus, they just sort of jumped on this situation that popped up. So none of her accusers, they weren't willing to claim that they were without sin. And none of the teachers or Pharisees was willing to step up in front of that crowd and claim to be without sin. So they just started to leave. Now, the gospel says the older ones left first, which makes sense. They probably had a better understanding of just how sinful their lives had been. And because Jewish culture culture held older folks in higher regard, the younger folks weren't going to argue or force the issue. They just followed the lead of their elders. And keep in mind, Jesus didn't make that statement and then stand there looking at them accusingly, waiting for someone to step up. He made the statement and then he squatted down and went back to writing in the sand. He threw out the challenge and then let them deal with it on their own. When he does finally stand up and look around, he's like, huh, where'd they all go? So then it's just Jesus and the woman. Just Jesus and the woman. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. It's like, here's the misery and the mercy standing alone. Plenty of people point out that Jesus doesn't say, I forgive you. He just says that he won't condemn her. So see, Jesus won't even forgive adultery, which is not the point. Think about it. The woman hasn't repented. She hasn't said she was sorry or expressed any kind of remorse. So what Jesus did made perfect sense. He deals with the immediate situation by saying he won't condemn her either. But then he challenges her to go now and leave your life of sin. There's no reason to believe that Jesus wasn't ready to offer forgiveness. She just wasn't ready to receive it. The concern I have with this reading is that people use it to justify condemning members of the LGBTQ community. Jesus said you won't be condemned, but you won't be forgiven until you leave your life of sin. Then when that person continues on in a loving relationship that they've determined that you know had to be sinful, then they these these folks gleefully condemn that other person. What they seem to miss completely is that 
they're right back to being the crowd of accusers with stones in their hands. You know, the ones Jesus ignored, the ones Jesus challenged, the ones who hung their heads and went away. This reading isn't about whether or not we have the ability and the right to judge others. This reading should remind us that we're all sinners. And we shouldn't run around condemning each other because Jesus isn't going to condemn us either. And when we're each individually ready, Jesus will be there to offer us forgiveness. So the main message I got from our gospel reading is that we must prepare to accept Christ's forgiveness. The question isn't whether or not Christ will forgive us. It's whether or not we'll accept that forgiveness. Especially during Lent, we should spend time examining our lives and looking for ways to improve, ways to, to become better followers of Christ. Because ultimately, Christ is ready to forgive us, but we must prepare to accept Christ's forgiveness. All right, so let's sum up what we've talked about so far. In our first reading from Isaiah, the main message I came away with was, we need God to survive. In our second reading from Philippians, the main message I got was, Jesus must be the center of our lives. And finally, the main message I got from our gospel reading was, we must prepare to accept Christ's forgiveness. As part of creation, it should be obvious that we need the Creator. Everyone does, whether they believe in God or not. But for Christians, it's so much more than that. We believe that we need God in our lives here and now to bring meaning and love and forgiveness and, and to help us prepare for eternal life in heaven. And the way to do that is to put Jesus at the center of our lives. Saying that is easy. Figuring out what it really means and how to actually do it is hard. But it's something that must be done because it's ultimately how we'll be able to prepare ourselves. It's how we'll prepare to accept the forgiveness that Christ is waiting to offer us. All right, so let's step back and take a second glance at these readings overall and ask ourselves if our path has become clear. To do this, I'd like to answer two questions. So what? And now what? Okay, so what? Why should we care about any of this? Well, we should care about this because too many people seem focused on building themselves up by tearing others down. They'll make you feel small to make themselves feel tall. They're the first ones to show up with rocks in their hands ready to condemn. But who among them is without sin? And if Jesus won't condemn, then why would they? If we truly put Jesus at the center of our lives, then we'll have to strive to follow his commands. And we'll understand that loving others as yourself isn't just a pithy saying. It's a difficult challenge. And the way we face that challenge, the way we face it speaks volumes. Will we stand up and do the difficult work of loving everyone, especially those we don't understand? Or will we squeeze that stone a little tighter and get ready to throw? Too many people in this world are already throwing stones. 
figuratively and literally. So we definitely don't need more people doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And the last question I try to answer is now what? What are we supposed to do? Where do we go from here? Well, instead of getting all judgy on others or on ourselves, let's get back to the basics. But in order to do that, don't we have to identify what those basics really are? So with that in mind, here's your real conversation for the week. What does it mean to put Jesus at the center of your life? For St. Paul, a guy who was basically on death row, that meant leaving everything behind. For most of us, that approach isn't going to work very well. So figure out what will. Spend some time talking to someone else about it. Brainstorm a little. But, you know, be creative. With a little help from the Spirit, who knows what you'll come up with? Find a fellow believer and talk about the question, what does it mean to put Jesus at the center of your life? All right, before I wrap things up, I'd like to leave you with one more quote from Scripture. As you're talking about how to actually put Jesus at the center of your life, remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Like always, you're not alone in this. The Spirit is ready, willing, and able to help you out when you're committing your work to God. All right, we've come to the end of our time here together. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back again next week. But in the meantime, I encourage you to use this as a starting point. Spend some time with the Bible on your own. Read through a passage a couple of times. Think about it. Pray about it. Open up not only your mind, but your heart. Break open the Word and then listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. The Real Word Podcast is brought to you by The Real Values Project, Real Youth Ministry, and The Real Values Framework. Real stands for respect, engage, accept, and lead. For more information on The Real Values, please visit keepingitreal.club. And finally, the Bible readings used for this podcast are from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 1973, 1978, 1984, in 2011 by Biblica Inc. Used by permission, all rights reserved worldwide.